Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today, we're going to be talking to someone who I've had an opportunity to talk with on another show of mine called Pop Culture Addicts. So if you're listening to this, you'll want to go to Pop Culture Addicts right away after completing today and listen to her interview there because it's, it's, a, it's a fun one. We talked with Dee Dee Pfeiffer about her work in the Hollywood world of movies and, and television and the show that she's currently on called Big Sky, which you can see over on ABC. But that's not entirely what we have Dee Dee here to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about Dee Dee's uh, struggle with addiction and then also her journey to and through sobriety. And so we're very, I'm very excited to have Dee Dee here today to talk about this and uh, talk about her journey. So welcome, Dee Dee. Thank you for being on Focused on Forward. Well, thank you for having me, Tim. I'm very, very honored to be here. Yeah, I'm. We, we talked a little bit about this on Pop Culture Addicts, but not really to any any depth because that, that, that's not really the format of that show. So right. I was I was so excited when you said that you would be willing to come on and talk about this today because I, I, I like, you know, for people to see that that this is an issue that can affect anyone anywhere. And it's not just this person or that type of person. It can get this is addiction is something that can affect everyone. And so um, if we can shine a light on it, I, I certainly want to. So if you would, please, Didi, take us through your story. Well, Tim, first of all, like I said, thank you so much for having me on. Um, one of the reasons why I talk so much in all my interviews about my addiction and being in recovery is because it's still really hard to talk about. It still has a lot of social stigma. It still has a lot of shame around it. So I just, it's like my little way of helping is by saying Hi, I'm in recovery. I'm recovering from alcoholism. You know, let's have the conversation. My family and my sons know that I talk about it a lot because it's important. Even in my interview with you, we were talking about Big Sky and me going and getting a degree. And all of a sudden, I just slipped my addiction in there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Because it's not talked about like that. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, she's this, 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 this. Oh, and in recovery for alcoholism. It's more like, what, what did you just say? Like, stop. What did she just say? I said, yeah, that's right. But it still has that uh, shocking value, that um, stigma. Um, and it's still really hard for a lot of people to talk about. The problem with that is it keeps those of us active in our disease right there. Active in our disease. You know, because as long as there's still shame and social stigma, it doesn't make it easier to talk about at all. You know, so I talk about it all the time in the hopes that maybe even one person goes, wow, okay, look, she's not ashamed of, of it. And dude, I'm like, I just turned 58. So that's not sexy in my book <laughs> to have gone to rehab in my fifties, going through menopause, raising two boys on my own. But, you know, um, that's my story. 
I was a high functioning alcoholic, you know, very high functioning, got A's in college, raised my kids at relatively well considering, um, went through three marriages. I'm sure my alcoholism didn't help that. Um, yeah, um, yeah, of course, of course I had something to do with it. Right. Um, but also, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go in to it. There's also trauma. You know, I had a lot of undiagnosed and untreated trauma and addiction. They're two separate things, but boy, they love to dance together. They're like peanut butter and jelly, you know, trauma and addiction. mm -mm, Nothing goes better than those two. (laughs) Um, So if you're only dealing with the trauma and not, or it's like, oh, I drank because I was traumatized. If, if that's really the story, then great. Right. But sometimes they're two separate things and then they have to be addressed that way. Mine wasn't until I was okay. in my fifties. Yeah. Mine was in my fifties. So I was one of those, like I said, high functioning alcoholics. I checked all the boxes. That didn't mean I didn't get drunk in certain times to certain places and made a, 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 a donkey's butt out of myself. You bet I did. Right. But it was so easy to write it off. Oh, well, I was a single mother, you know, divorced three times and shot five sister and traumatized like she had been in the past. I drink too. Sure. Right. And so um, high functioning alcoholics or high functioning addicts, for that matter, it doesn't matter what your drug choice is. It can be meth, heroin, alcohol, shopping, sex, gambling, whatever, whatever you're using to a point that's affecting your life in a negative way. That's what makes it. I think I personally think an addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So. um, But. I, it was hard to kind of like catch me, you know what I mean? Like, how do you catch somebody who's not ready to be caught yet? You, you know, people try to talk to me about it, but boy, you want to really make somebody defensive. Talk to somebody who's heavily actively in their addiction and they are not ready to right. make a change. They're, if they're, they're not ready. They're not ready. And that's one thing that I don't think my family and my friends and including my sons understood and I didn't actually understand it as well until I was in that position where I, for whatever reason, people said, what's your bottom? What was your bottom? I had multiple bottoms. I mean, think okay. about it. I'm in my 50s, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went to rehab three years ago, I just turned 58, do the math, right? So, you know, I hit quite a few bottoms, quite a few times. I went, oh my God, I need help. But here's the thing. I had no idea how to ask for help. I didn't know where to go and the shame just kneecapped me because I felt like a failure. I couldn't figure out why I could check all the other boxes, work, go to school, raise children, do all these things. But why can't I just stop drinking? What is my problem? Why can't I just stop? I'm a failure. Oh, well, I'll have a drink because there's nothing better than to have a drink when you feel like a failure because then it makes it, it feels like for a minute, the, the feeling of a failure goes away for a minute. Sure. It's the momentary it, win. Yeah, yeah. And also remember when people are, are in actively in their disease, which is when they're because remember alcoholism or any addiction is a disease. Absolutely. I mean, people like to think that we had a choice. Didi Pfeffer had so much going for her. Why can't she just stop? It's a damn good question. I keep asking myself that too. And I didn't have the answers because I didn't, I wasn't ready to accept the help that's out there. Mm-hmm. Until yeah. I was ready, whatever my bottom looked like for me, right? And your bottom was different than his and hers and they's, right? Sure. So that's one thing I, I really understand now more than ever is be there as an example, 
be there to tell them they're not alone. Don't judge them. Support them the best way you can and hope one day that they reach out for that help when they've hit their bottom and hope to God they don't go to the light. Like a lot of my friends in rehab didn't make it, didn't make it to even get a year chip. They went, you know, yeah. And my son's, my son's um, best friend who was a son to me, 17 years old. He also went to the light from addiction and his sister, not a month later, who's 15. So it's, um, it's something not to mess around with, you know, and relapse is serious. People Mm -hmm. would like to again, loop that into, Oh, once again, a failure. It's like, no, 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 no. Everybody's story is different. Some people have 35 years sobriety or whatever, or meth. They're not using meth or whatever it is. And they had to have, they had to try it a few times before they got, um, into a strong program or on the right path for them. Right. And everybody's recovery is different too. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, you mentioned that earlier, uh, just right now about rather not earlier, but just right now about how, you know, if somebody has a slip and they go back into addiction that people are like, Oh, they're a failure and things. But you know, if we're looking at it though, as a disease, yeah, we can't say that it's a failure because we would never say that somebody who has a second bout of cancer is a failure. There you go. Yeah. Because it's a disease that is in control of them, not the other way around. Exactly. That's a, I love what you said, because that's exactly how to look at it. And for whatever reason, we choose not to. And if the information's out there, it's in the DSM-5, which is where we diagnose right. people. That's where you get your diagnosis is for illness or not illness, but, you know, for um um conditions is the dsm-5 and addiction is in there right addiction oh, yeah. is in there so and yet we still blame the addict as if he she they have have a choice and i promise you with all my heart i did not wake up nor did anybody else i know wake up one day and say hey i want to be an addict that sounds like a really good idea like, i'd like to have something like a- else controlling me that'd be great yeah i mean can you imagine like people if we had the choice I would imagine 99.9% of all people, you know, uh, addicted to whatever would choose not to be, would like to be able to control it. And so, you know, and that's where the work begins and starts. And, and again, the whole relapse thing is tricky. It's, and they have to, I'm not gonna say they have to, it's a good idea when you, when you're around somebody and they do relapse. Now I'm very fortunate relapse is not part of my story, but I'm not going to sit here on my soapbox and tell you that that's not a possibility. Of course it is. Oh, All yeah. I have to do is pick up a drink and that's it. Bam. There you go. I'm off mm-hmm. and running. Right. Um, and no one will be more ashamed and embarrassed of me than be, be, beyond my own children and family and friends, but myself. And that's what people kind of have to realize is the person that relapsed. They're already doing a good job of beating themselves up. They're already self-loathing them, say, themselves. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's hard to have compassion for someone who you view as weak, because again, let's go back to why can't you control it? You had a year of sobriety. How could you do that? You must, yeah, how be could you weak. throw it all away? Yeah. It, it, well, I'll tell you what happened is, and, and this is what people don't understand is that there are prelapse signs okay. until, right. Until, unless the person in recovery understands what those look like what they feel like, what they smell like, what they, you know, what they feel like the whole thing and everybody around them. That's why having a support team, which I've never had really before brother and two sisters. We have a little group text from rehab 
Um, and there's a, there's some people I'm working with right now on big skies that are also sober and I lean on them and they lean on me because awesome. no matter, yeah, right. No matter how different we are in so many other ways, recovery is still a common denominator and it's not easy. And if you told me right now, dude, I have like six months. I'm like, Oh, I remember that six months. Mark. Dude, don't even get me started. I was white knuckling it. I was going to AA going, I don't believe in God. Why am I here? <laughs> and they're like, just shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the things that we need to look at, you know, it, to help normalize the, the recovery process is that we need to acknowledge the, the fact and the strength of community for anyone who's recovering from any type of, of, uh, you know, illness yeah. or whatever, you know, because when, when people we will go back to the cancer analogy, when people are recovering from cancer, they have a community oh. that forms around them. And there's, there's, yeah. there's so much power there. And, and the power of community oftentimes helps them through. When my daughter was in the hospital, the power of community helped our family tremendously and oh, be, yeah. being able to help my daughter be able to do what she needed to do. Um, and I, I have to imagine and think that it would be the same for those yeah. who are struggling with addiction, because now they're no longer alone. It, they're not by themselves. They have somebody else there who's walked the walk and they're not just talking the talk. Yeah. You know, those, th your words are so beautiful. And they went right to my heart because they're absolutely true. Um, also, can I clarify something? When I said, I don't believe in God, that's actually not true. I don't believe in the conventional God. I believe that mother earth and energy and that, you know, it's bigger than me, the universe, it's bigger than sure. me, this, this earth I'm sitting on right now. That's my God, other than a group of drunks, God, group of, <laughs> I love that. When someone said God, group of drunks are my God. I went, oh, I like that guy. Who's that guy across the room? He's my kind of guy, right? Um, there you go. To clarify, because I don't want anyone listening thinking, oh, she's an, you know, I, I believe definitely there's a lot of stuff that's bigger and more powerful than me. <laughs> Just, sure, it sure. might look a little different than your God, but that's, that's cool. That's welcome to the being different, but you're absolutely right. Um, we take that for granted. How support, think about it. If you're on your own going through any difficult time, oh my God, that's really hard. Now, I'm not one who really wants to reach out when I'm, when I'm suffering and in pain. It's not my tendency. And I think that's what broke my heart when I went into rehab and I was so humiliated and I was just so broken. And I thought, what have I done with my life that I'm in my fifties going through menopause. I'm leaving my children for a month and my phone and computer, everything for a month going into intensive inpatient for something I can't control. What a loser I am. And I, and I, and I thought, nobody, you don't know my story. You know, I have trauma. You guys, you know, you don't know who I am. And I walked into this group of 30 plus people in this rehab. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And let me tell you, all they had to do was start talking. And I went, oh my God, I know that. I know them. I, 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 I know them. And I started talking and they got me. Like we just understood each other. Our traumas look different. Our histories look different. Our DNA look different. But I promise you, we had all were there for the same reason trying to live, trying to get it right, trying to figure out what the heck, you know, why can't we stop this? Learn more about addiction, sure. trauma, right? And I could never have done that by myself. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was with my people. Like I'm, I, to this day, I love people in addicts who are in, re, in uh, recovery. And that doesn't mean somebody who hasn't relapsed. I don't care about them. Of course I do. Actually, I care about them probably more on some levels because I, I have never relapsed, but I know how I would feel if I did. And it would be really ugly and really bad, right? So I would just be like, hey, man, it's, I'm here. 
Let me know what it looks like to be there for you. You tell me, right? You need me to take you. I had to drive my friend back to rehab. He stayed in my my house for a minute after he got out of rehab after me and he relapsed and I had to drive him back to, to the rehab. That was painful. That was hard. But um, he knew and I knew that he needed to go back. He didn't get it right that time. And he did. You know, he went back a few times. That's you know, awesome. and guess what? I'm now glad he got taken care of. Well, yeah, he didn't go to the light, right? He didn't go to the light. So he stuck around long enough so he could, uh, he, he's now back on the path, you know, and he's an inspiration to others now. Good. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your journey. Now you said that you went into rehab uh, three, three and a half years ago, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in active addiction? Well, if you really want to go there, my father was a a, a high functioning alcoholic. And um, so I learned from the best. I watched daddy, you know, I watched dad do it. And you know, what really made I wanted my dad's love and attention so bad. One of the ways to do that was to sit on his lap and sip from his big tall boy, his Coors mm-hmm. beer. Mm-hmm. I just aged myself. All your younger, they're Coors. What is that? It's a beer. It's a beer. Budweiser. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, sipping on his beer, which grossed me out, was a way to get his attention and his love and make him acknowledge me, see me, hear me, you know, out of four kids. So there was that again, there, I think there was some childhood trauma going on that was never addressed. Remember two people can go to war and fight the same battle and come back. And one can have PTSD and the other one, not be perfectly doesn't fine. Make, yeah. yeah. It doesn't make it less traumatic for the person oh, who did. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. We all have different genetic makeup. We have all different dis- dispositions, culture, different childhoods. We have a lot, everything that makes us, us is different than the guy or gal next to you. Even if you're a twin, right? Right. Um, so your experiencing life could traumatize you where your other sisters and brothers were like, Hey man, yeah, I was bummed out, but whatever. Right. So there was that. Um, I think that a lot of what was going on too, is I also had a food addiction. I was anorexic. So if I, if I wasn't starving myself with food, I was drinking, you know, if I wasn't drinking. I would say I was a love addict for sure. You know, mm-hmm. just love me, love me, love me, like me, like me. So my addiction was whack-a-mole growing up, you know, it wasn't drinking. Oh, sure. the entire. Okay. Yeah. It was like first a love addiction and then it would be food and then it was alcohol. Oh, cigarettes. Throw that in there. Ooh, baby. No one likes to smoke cigarettes more than me. Um, I never really got into anything else only because it was difficult. You know, I didn't really have that much exposure to drugs. Otherwise, I'm sure I would have done that. Now I'm sober, dude, and pot is freaking legal. Are you kidding me? I'm like, (laughs) oh, are you trying to tell me I can check out legally? Yeah, I can. But guess what? For people like me, I lose my sober chip that I earned. That I, <laughs> three years, there's been some times in there where it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And those are the times where you rewind the tape and ask yourself, do you want to do that again? If you do, then go ahead and take that drink. And you go, ah, I think I'll go eat Cheetos. Or I think I'll go eat a Snickers. I'll go run around <laughs> the block. I'll go call somebody sober and say, whoa, my addict is doing push-ups. Talk to me. My addict is doing push-ups. So to go back to what I was saying about the prelapse signs, you do have to be careful of those because usually when someone relapses, they can always trace it back where it started and it was not the trigger. It was way before that. So for me, I was just one of those sneaky addicts. It was in my DNA. It's in my family, on both sides of the family. Addiction ran on both my mom and dad's side. So somebody in the Pfeiffer family in this generation was (laughs) primed to get it. 
And that was Dieter Du. That was me, not right. Michelle, not my little sister, Lori, not my brother, Rick, me. I got it. But you know something? It stops here in this generation with me, you know, and I made that decision. I said, okay, my dad lived and uh, went to the light with his addiction, right? Um, I have a choice. I could do that too, but I don't want to do what, you know, what, how do I say this? My dad wasn't the best he could be. Now, looking back, he really had promise and he could never be everything he could be because of his addiction. High functioning, took care of the family. Sure but never reached his potential. And that was me. I don't think I ever, I have yet to reach my potential. And that's what's really exciting now, but in my fifties, I have a rebirth because I get to not go back and do things over. No, 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 no. It's not about that. Just start to re rewrite history every day that I'm in it right now, you know, take, be accountable for things, mm -hmm. um, be leave space for having bad days. People like, Oh, I had a bad day. So I relapsed. I'm like, what people who are normies have bad days. That's not an excuse. You know, but if it is for you, we need to really go dig a, a little deeper because to me, it's not because you had a bad day. It's a little deeper than that. Go a little deeper. Come on, Johnny. Let's go a little deeper <laughs> um, because when I'm helping other people, I'm helping myself, honestly. Okay. I mean, just doing talking to you right now. When I get off the phone, I'll feel really vulnerable. You bet I will. But I'll also feel like hopefully one person heard this and I somehow touched something inside them that made them feel like maybe they can take that journey as well to make that phone call or go to AA or call a rehab or call a friend and just say, Hey, sure. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I just know I need to stop. And I don't know how to do this because there is help out there, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and that's really one of the tenets that this whole show has been built around uh, is the fact that my hope is that, that if one person per episode is helped, Mm -hmm. you know, then, then we're doing our job here on focused and forward. If, if, if one person takes something, even, even a small tidbit, just a, even if it's just a quip of something that somebody says, um, you know, yeah. maybe it, maybe it's one of the, the things that you said, but it, you know, in a truncated quote, and they take that and they're able to, that's able to keep them buoyant for a little bit, yep. you know, the, then we've done our job here. You so. know, and here's one I have, a, I call them zingers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay. I call them when I hear like these zingers that go right to either my head and later on trickles down to my heart, my soul, or sometimes they go right to my soul. But here's one when you're in your disease and you're either high functioning and hiding in society. And by the way, people close to you know you have a problem. You're not really hiding that well. <laughs> but, anyways, right. or really, really, you know, maybe experiencing homelessness and have trauma and your addiction, you know, really down and about but here's the thing when you're in your addiction you are the identified problem when you decide to say hey i i, I don't want to do this anymore in that moment you become the identified possibility to everyone around you because even though everyone around you doesn't may not understand what addiction means trust me you're inspiring somebody because they see you go from the identified problem to the identified possibility I mean, this, think about it. What else is a normie really going to do that's as tough as trying to, to lick an addiction? And you never get rid of it. You learn to live with it um, uh, because we know you can have 50 years and relapse, you know? It doesn't go away. Right. You learn to live with it, you know? But I love that when I have days where I go, oh, I think, wait a minute, 
today are you going to remain the identified possibility? Are you going to take a drink and go back to the identified problem? And I don't know about you, but I like being the identified possibility because if anything I do or say inspires somebody, then, then that's, that's a good title. I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind that one. <laughs> right. That's a good no, that's great. And I, I love that. I like your zinger. Actually, I like being called a normie. So I'm going to keep that. That's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but that's I, the difference between an addict and a normie. Like I'm sure you go out and have a beer and you can leave half that beer on the table. I don't understand that. And those right. out there who are listening to me who having issues know what I'm talking about. Who in the heck leaves half a glass of wine on the table? Not me, not in my world. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That gets <laughs> finished. does, but not somebody in a, you know. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But I love the, I like the idea of, you know, the, the separating the two. Uh, identify problem because that's, you know, you think about that, that's a, 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 a pinpoint. That's an exact thing. Yeah. You know? But identify possibility. Mm-hmm. There's so many different layers to that, and so many different yeah. areas where it can go. It's no longer something that's simply identified. It's something that's that's fluid and can move yes. and do whatever. It's it's not held down and restricted. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah, I got that from Kathleen Murphy. She actually ran. She used to, anyways. Uh, she was the. Um, person who ran breathe life healing centers in Los Angeles. That was a rehab I went to. Um, she was phenomenal and she still is, but she's now in Tennessee, not in Los Angeles, but she would say that. And I remember that was one of those zingers that went right to my heart. And I went, Hey, wait a minute. I don't want to be the identified problem anymore. I don't want that title. I want to sure. be. And it, and it kind of keeps you, keeps you going on those days where you're like, Ooh, oh, God, this is a hard day. And you just ask yourself, okay, Dieter do. All right. What do you want to, what do you want to be tomorrow, uh, considered, you know, and also it takes you out of that sting again, the sting of being in recovery. Oh, she's a recovering from alcoholic. Right. And I am also the identified possibility. You tell me what you're doing in your life. That's as hard as what I'm doing right now. Right. right. And also not becoming a dry drunk because by the way, anybody can stop. You go to a, one of these, um, detox places they get you nice and sober get you off of your drugs or whatever meth or whatever it is that you're addicted to but that doesn't mean that you're still not an (laughs) a-hole you're just not using anymore your behavior (laughs) is still not so good because for me it's like I didn't stop doing something that there were times I enjoyed very much so that I could become an ugly person you know what I mean no I actually want I want to become a better person whatever that looks like for me and that's different than the other person but who in the heck am I I can tell you one thing it when I was drinking that's not who I am that's not my authentic self and there's no way to find your authentic self if you're using anything on the outside to push uh that the real self aside or down and the usually why you're doing that is there's something really painful in there Mm -hmm. that you're scared to lean into and that's, I, I get that. I, I respect that man, but I promise you, you're not going to die from leaning into your pain, but you could very well die from your addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I told somebody one time that, uh, you know, the, who, the person who they thought they were when they were under the influence was a poorly lit caricature of themselves. Yeah. Oh, amen. That is so true. You know, yeah. Um, because what you're seeing is, is typically not the best parts of you. And it's certainly not in the best light. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's something that's over, overemphasized and typically in the wrong way. Well, it's mind altering. Yeah. 
you know, anything that mine alters. And I'm not saying that, like, like I said, if you smoke pot, that's awesome. Good for you. I mean, I wish I could, but you know, I can, I'm choosing not to, not a good idea because then I'll just become a stoner and I will be stoned every single day because that's just how I fly. (laughs) Everything, all or nothing with me. Right. I was going to say it's zero (laughs) zero or 100 for you. Exactly. So it's best. I just continue to drink a lot of coffee, eat a lot of peanut M&Ms, walk, Chris really walk those dogs. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Walk off the (laughs) M&Ms. I like the coffee and the M&M idea. That's yeah. That sounds lovely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is whack-a-mole. I mean, I do have to watch like the eating thing. So I'm not doing that, but at least, you know, the eating thing is that, you know, if I do find myself kind of rabbit holing into my addict, just having a field day with food, then I get to stop and say, Ooh, you know, Hey, ha ha ha. What's that about D? You know what? Hey, Dieter do way inside. What's going on with you that, you, that, you know, what's, you know, and usually talking to somebody else who mm-hmm. I respect, which means somebody, I respect a lot of people actually for different reasons, but there's nobody like somebody else who understands what you're going through. Here's an example. Sure. One of my, my best friend has a son who is fragile X. That's, that's big time on the spectrum. Yeah. I can talk to her until I'm blue in the face. None of my sons are on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly don't have fragile X, but when she talks to any other mother, when she drops off her son to a the special school that he goes to, nobody makes her feel more less alone than another mother with another, uh, with who also has fragile X. It's just, and, and that's just a given, you know, yeah. when she, when she says, Oh boy, Mikey gave me a hard one, would not get out the door. And the other mom goes, don't even get me started, Charlie. Ah, Oh, did you have the meltdown? Oh, did I have the meltdown? I got hit. I got smacked, you know, and they, they're talking a language that I don't understand. I mean, I right. get it intellectually, but I do not know what it means to have a child on the spectrum. I would not know what it means to have that kind of a scene, you know? Right. But, There's not yeah, the emotional connection there that, that those yeah. two have, the kinship it's, that they have. Yeah, it's like shorthand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So when did you get to a point where you said, okay, I need to make this better for myself. Now we know that was three years ago, but what caused you to say, I need to make this better for myself? Um, it was just hitting one too many bottoms. I was, um, in, um, in between my, um, I was doing a two year master's program at UCLA and it had taken me about eight, seven, eight years to get there. And, um, so I had done my first year of my grad graduate, um, uh, year and it, it beat the you know what out of me it was really hard and um then my I lost my mom at towards the okay. end of that year while trying it was just like a lot of things it was it particularly one or two things no it was years of hitting bottoms years of always trying to find the bottom of the bottle you know my the answer in the bottom of the bottle sure. and just being exhausted from just feeling like a loser I just had it I remember looking on the TV in between um, watching my alien shows at night and these 1-800 call an addiction therapist numbers anonymously. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I think I need to call. I was literally thinking uh, I can call and just tell them my name is Jill. I mean, that's how sure. more, that's how mortified I was at even, at even going close to that. Right. And here I am you know, your podcast, but Hey, I'm an addict, but that's how far I came, but that's how low I was and shamed I was. And I kept thinking, I just got to 
pick up the phone. I just got a call. I think I wrote it down maybe on something next to my bed, put it in the drawer, kept forgetting about it. And long story short, really, my family came to me and said, we'd like to do an intervention. We'd like you to, to, to meet us on Thursday. And the first thing I said was, you don't have to do that. Just where, where do I go? Tell me where to go. And don't pull up with that car with the camera and put me on that intervention show. You don't, don't anything. My family's we're not going to do that. I said, please, I'm ready. I will, I want to go, but will you take care of my children and my animals? And they were like, absolutely. And I was in rehab two, two days later. Bam. Beautiful. But it was weird. I feel like the universe opened up. I feel like, and by the way, I'd lost all my spirituality at the point. When you're in your addiction, you get super far away from things that mean something to you you get really far away from all of your values anything that um enriches your soul you, you i've lost all of that i was just on autopilot you know how do i check the boxes and make sure my addiction i get to fit fit that in there somewhere you know um without really letting anybody know that i was in such pain and, and really struggling um so somehow I think I got some, I think for someone who's not religious, I think I got some pretty powerful angels <laughs> following me around who said, we're going to give her a break. Um, okay. I can't guarantee you that I would even be around right now. Had I not been ready, number one, and my family getting the courage to come to me to say, you need help and me saying, let's go. <laughs> and them going, right. really, you're not going to fight us. And I was like, no, I, I, I was about to call an 800 number and they were like, oh my God. So like nobody really knew, you know, none of us knew I was struggling that bad because, um, you know, uh, tough German family, cover that pain. There Don't, you go, uh, sure. Do not, my dad, no, we were rewarded as children not to show pain. Mm -hmm. Didn't hurt, didn't hurt, get up, go brush it off. A terrible thing to be raised with. I mean, back then it was, it was rewarded, you know, sure. um, but looking back, uh, wow. Talk about your, um, I, that I understand. Hurt. Yeah. You know, you can't cover that stuff up. You don't wear it on your shoulder, but it does have to be dealt with, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But we now know that they, that generation didn't know that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, you know, just to, to, you know, review for the listening audience, we we're talking to someone who has had an active addiction for years and years, whether it was one type of addiction or another, working on sobriety for three years. And I say working on because sobriety is always something you have to work towards. It's not something where it's not, this is the one thing that's different in, about this disease than other diseases where you can be cured of cancer and be in remission. Sobriety is something you will work towards for the rest of your life. Um, and, and so, but you've been working towards sobriety for the last three, is it three or three and a half years? Three and a half years, July 29th will be my four year sober birthday. Boom. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So you've been dealing with this for that long. And, yeah. and, that, and I think that that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you were willing to come on today and, and, and talk about this because I think, you know, there, there's so many stigmas that are around so many different things when it comes to uh, our mental and emotional health, when it comes to illnesses and addictions that people just don't understand because you know, and a lot of times people in our world around us, they live in their, their glass houses, their glass bubbles. And, and, you know, and that's okay, you know, uh, to a certain extent, but when you see someone else who's struggling with those very same things, it's time to open your heart and, and look and listen and, and try and be uh, part of that community and help. Uh, yeah. so I, I think it's great that, that you do what you do, and, you know, like today coming on and sharing your story and, and sharing your advice.
But here's an opportunity for you to share two more pieces of advice. Oh, I love questions that I don't see coming. (laughs) That's right. All right. So we have two questions we ask every every guest. I almost said character. Um, That's the (laughs) that's another show. That's pop culture addicts. I've been called character. (laughs) (laughs) That's pop culture addicts. That's not this show. Um, But we ask every single guest who's ever been on our show. The first question is: Looking back over the entirety of your experience, what's the single greatest lesson that you have learned? Self-forgiveness. Okay. I think it, it's something that I still struggle with, and I have I work on it daily. It didn't does not come easy to me. I'm the most kind, forgiving person when it comes to everybody around me, but the buck stops with me. I'm very hard on myself. I'm still trying to forgive myself for all the times that I've made it, like I said, a donkey's butt out of myself, embarrass my children, my family, my friends, myself. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, um, even like right now talking about it, um, puts a lump in my throat because I just, yeah, it's not easy to forgive yourself when you've behaved badly. Um, but I just have to remind myself I was in my disease and, uh, and I choose today not to be. And that's, that's really the best I can do and try to let that go and let that be where it's at, which is behind me. It's in the past. It only has power right now if I give it, but boy, those wounds are kind of hard. Cause I, it's crazy how like, I'm so unforgiving to myself, (laughs) right? Like, like I'm not allowed to have effed up, but everybody else can. And I'll forgive you. Sure. Me. Nope, nope, nope. You know, nope. so I'd say self-forgiveness because it is something I still have to work on every day. Okay. Excellent. That's a great answer. It's and even for those who are not struggling with addiction, learning to exercise or allow ourselves a little grace is, is a difficult thing for many. So I think that's a, I think it's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Um, the second question, very similar to the first looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the single greatest piece of advice that you were given? <laughs> Get out of your own way, Didi. <laughs> okay, great. Get out of your own way. My therapist said it to me, many of the counselors in rehab said it, and my sponsor, my AA sponsor said it. And I think I even had a professor at UCLA <laughs> mention something like that because nobody can mess you up more than yourself nobody can mess me up more than my own toxic narrative which is just what it is the narrative you know it's like I have to question is that true or is that just some toxic thought to make me feel like bad about myself you know is there any right. evidence to support that Bob Didi no well, then that's your narrative and it's not holding any purpose so just get rid of it and by the way get out of your own way because your narrative just tripped you up right because then your narrative creates what fear sometimes, right? right? Inhibitions, inhibitions, fear. And whenever you're going through life with fear, inhibitions, or any of these things that are relatively negative, right? It's not going to keep me from being the, the best I can be at any one thing, whatever that is. So I love to get all up in my own way. <laughs> and it's my head, my thoughts, right? Right. Yeah. Everybody else around me seems to really think that I can do a lot. It's me that tells myself I can't. So just be reminded to get out of your own way, Didi, which just means shut your head off for a minute and just put the foot forward. Trust that, trust that it's going to be okay and continue forward. Excellent. 
Okay. So, uh, Didi, I have to say that I, I have so thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation today. Um, and this is just a, a beautiful piggyback off our conversation that we had uh, when you came onto our other show, Pop Culture Addicts. And I have to say that, you know, and I've talked to a, a lot of different people. I've done a hundred plus episodes of Focused on Forward. And I have another show called Funny Science Fiction Podcast. We have about a hundred episodes on that. And, you know, we're getting going with Pop Culture Addicts and all this. There are very few people that I have met in the entirety of all this that are as open and as honest as you are about things. And I really, I, I love the the genuineness of you, of you and your story. And I am so thankful and appreciative that you were willing to come on today and share it and, and to try and be a light for somebody else. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And I do say from all of my heart that went, that went right to my heart. Thank you so much. Cause, um, that's just beautiful. Thank you. I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. So I mentioned at the outset that you're part of the show called Big Sky on ABC. Mm-hmm. So um, if you don't mind, take a moment and, and tell everybody about Big Sky and, and why they should be watching it. Okay, here we go. Now comes the actor pitch, the pitching of the, the shameless That's right. pitch. The shameless Thursday plug, night. pitch away. Thursday nights, ABC, 10 o'clock, Big Sky. Well, you have to watch it because I'm on it. I play Denise Brisbane. She never leaves the office. And um, yep, she's not in a lot. But when you do see her, she's a smart butt, a lot like me. This is why it's one of the, (laughs) this is characters by far is the most like me. Um, She's the rock in a very crazy story. The girls are always out trying to save, save the day. And Denise is just there. She's like that staple, that rock that the butterflies go back and kind of land on um to take a breath to go back out into the crazy world again it's um and if you want if you keep watching you keep me employed how about that there you go (laughs) and i'm of the older season population we got to keep us us working out there right (laughs) absolutely absolutely all right so thursday nights on abc and uh well, also our show, we're known for cliffhangers. We have so many cliffhangers all over the place. So we will keep you running. I promise. Like it's not a boring show at all. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, again, Didi, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate thank it. You. Guys, this has been Didi Pfeiffer, one of the stars of ABC's Big Sky. I encourage you all to go check that out. And be sure that after you're done listening to this, to hop over to Pop Culture Addicts and hear the rest of the interview with Dee Dee Pfeiffer on that show as well. So thank you for listening, everybody. This has been Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.